You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled, Jordan turned back, the mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee, O Jordan, that you turn back, O mountains, that you skip like rams, O hills, like lambs? Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the greatness of the God of Jacob. And this is our focal point. Who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him and saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what he had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you? And in, danger, and in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Helen. So we're continuing in the series entitled, Dear God, Help Me, Amen. It's a fantastic prayer. It's a prayer we all need to pray regularly. It's the most honest prayer you could pray. Dear Lord, help me. That's usually what I pray during bedtime at our house somewhere between 5 p.m. and 9 p.m., you can hear me praying, yelling, screaming, pleading, begging, yearning, pining. God help us. Amen. To the families that had five, six, seven, eight, nine, eleven children, good job hogging all the patience that God had to give and leaving us with two kids with none patience because you took it all, and deservedly so, but If you could pray that the Lord would give some of it. Mike, (laughs) Claire, just some patience, just a little for nighttime and also every day. That would be helpful. What I want to talk about very briefly today is I want to talk about why we need an honest renewal 
of Christian practice, not just in times of economic inflation where items are more expensive, but in times of emotional and energy inflation where it feels like things that once we just did seem to still be done, but take 25% more energy, 25% more emotional acumen, 25% more patience than they ever have before. It's not just new stuff that is making us feel tired and fatigued and bogged down. It's the stuff that we used to just run through that seems like is running through us now a little bit. And so we need a renewal, an enlivening, a refreshing sense of Christian practice. Psalm 114, there's a lot to be said about it, but specifically at the very end when it says, this is the God who brought water out of a rock. This is the God who turned the flinty ground into a pool of water. And the beautiful analogy about that is that they're the two most opposite things. A rock and water coming out of it is usually what we say when we have no money to pay a bill. You cannot get water out of a rock. It's because it's an impossibility. And so there's areas of our life that have hardened in terms of our passion, our interest, our drive spiritually has hardened and we're longing for the day when water can finally flow again, but now it's dammed up. And I'm sure without much example, we can say, I get it, you have your version of it, I have my version of it. Things that we were once super passionate about, like we said last week, trials, where the minute a trial hit, we were able to stand up, look at it, and feel like David going down into the valley and say, you, this trial, you're not going to really do much. And there was like this spring like coming out of us that... It's, it's a leaky faucet at best right now. We need God to strike us, speak to us, so that water comes out of the water. Remember, when God strikes, he doesn't destroy. He opens springs. Our striking causes blood to flow. His striking causes a river of life to come out of you. How many could say, I could use a river of life coming out of me? Am I by myself this morning at all? A river of life, a little excitement, a little joy. I want to wake up and I want to be excited about not just my job, not just the commute, not just the annoying boss, not just be getting underpaid and be motivated to bear my cross and follow him, but I also want to be excited about the him I'm following. I want to be, I know to say that I'm excited about Jesus, but I want to get to the point where I don't have to try to be excited about him. Amen? I want to wake up ready. Jesus left us his entire plan. The way that we were going to survive 2,000 plus years is by coming to a table and coming to that table in remembrance of him. There's something about remembering the past that keeps hope alive for the present and the future. There's something about holy, divine remembering 
And I was texting my cousin about this this morning. He always texts me in the morning. He calls me his spiritual Mr. Miyagi. And he texted me this morning and said, what are we talking about today? And I said, you know, I told him. And he said, when we remember, do we remember the bad only? Or is it like a discipline to remember the good? And I said, we have to remember all of it because the broken bread and the cup reminds us that we can remember our worst because Jesus is reframing it in the bread and the cup. And we also have to remember the good because we st- our good still needs his goodness to be fully good. Amen? So our bad is still redeemable, and our good still needs his goodness for it to be fully good. So we have to remember all of it. So that's what the psalm does. Many psalms do. When Israel left Egypt, when God delivered us from Egypt, the mountains and the hills went skipping along rejoicing. Jordan turned back. He's remembering. Well, in the text that Helen read today, you see Peter, whose name means, you see Peter, and you see where he is now calloused and hardened and all damned up. And here's why. Jesus just preached the parable of the lost sheep. If he's got 99 people found, what does that parable say? He's going to go find the, he's going to go find it. And then he taught the parable of if somebody sins against you, go tell them. And if they don't listen to you, take two people. And if they don't listen to you, go get the church. Because all Jesus wants more than anything is for sheep to be found and for relationships to be reconciled. Amen, pastor. That's what we want to. <laughs> Well, Peter hears this. He's going to go get the one sheep, okay? And he wants us all to be reconciled. And he's not passionate. He's not spiritually on. He's not in a, he's not like hot for God in this moment. He's not on fire. And when you get a little cynical, and when you get a little stale, and when you get a little damned up, here's what happens. You say something like, I hear you, Jesus. You just taught about how you're going to go get the one sheep. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'll go get him. And you just taught about how we're all supposed to be forgiving each other. Yeah, I think that would be great. Well, all right, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive somebody before you'll let me walk away? And that question shows a heart that is no longer passionate. Because... When you're stale, you always see yourself as the one being sinned against. How many times do I have to forgive Ron for sinning against me, Jesus? Ron's like, how many times do you have to forgive me? God, how many times do I have to forgive him? When you're stale, when you're bored, when you're disinterested, you start to hear the joyful teachings, the good news of Jesus, and it actually makes us cynical and irritated. A modern example would be you waking up, going about your normal black and white day that is now boring. You maybe do some of your devotionals. Great. Didn't get anything out of it. Got to work. Heard some noises in my car. Great. There's at least $1,000. Get to the job. I'm not getting paid enough to do this. And you want me to do somebody else's work because they decided to quit because that's what everybody does now. And you're annoyed. And then somebody says, I'm just having a joyful day. And you're like, you know what? Honestly, shut up. 
when we're stale, other people's joy and happiness is annoying. Annoying. Irksome. Peter is irritated, irked by Jesus. And Jesus does to Peter, you ready? What he did to the lawyer in the Good Samaritan story. The lawyer said, fine, who's my neighbor? Tell me who my neighbor is so I know exactly who I have to be good to and then I can stop. And Jesus tells this whole parable to say, you're asking the wrong question, guy. The question isn't who is your neighbor. The question is, you are the neighbor. It does the same thing with Peter. How many times am I supposed to forgive my brother? And Jesus tells a story that essentially says, Peter, you're asking the wrong question. The question you should be asking is, how many times is my brother going to forgive me? How many times are you going to forgive me, Jesus? When you're on spiritually, you know that you're the one who messes up, and you joyfully receive new mercies every morning, and you joyfully accept the wonders of the cross, and then you go out motivated to offer those things. But when you're not excited, and we're not motivated, and we're not passionate, we are buried under our own cynicism and see everybody else is sinning against us, and we forget that the wonder of the cross was first for me. Because I messed up. The late Tim Keller said this, we should be grateful that Jesus died for us, but humbled that he had to. So Jesus tells this whole story that essentially says, Peter, here's the deal. Here's how many times you have to forgive your brother. As many times as God has forgiven you, is forgiving you, and will forgive you. That's how many times you have to forgive. Peter's like, four, five, carry the six multiply, parenthesis. That's a lot of times. Jesus is striking the rock that is Peter so that water can come out again. Living water can come out again. Springs can come out again. Jesus told the parable of the cross to remind us that it's not the cynical how many times do I have to forgive, but it is the joyful I've been forgiven and therefore forgiveness pours out of me. Now, I'm not talking about forgiveness today. I'm talking about passion. I'm talking about joy. I'm talking about getting back to healthy, hopeful Christian practice. And so the question is, how can we be struck by the cross on a daily basis so that water can flow out of us again? I'm going to preach through a diagram that Ian and I came up with. It is it's nice to have you back, Ian. It's very nice. Carrie's super excited to be back from vacation. I always loved coming back from vacation. When I called you and you were on your way, you were like, hey! And then on the way home, you're like, hey, man. <laughs> we're in the car now. We're coming home and there's a hurricane. Psalm 55 says this. Evening and morning and at noon. I, can we read this together out loud? Is it up there? Did you have this one up there? You put it up there? Is it possible? Is it? Psalm 55, verse 17. Pressure is on. Is it going to be there? Yeah or nay? Got it? It's like playing golf. Like everybody's watching you tee off here for a second. There you go. Put your hands together for Ian. That was impressive. Let's read this together. You ready? Starting now. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. Let's just read that top line together. 
evening and morning and at noon. Is that pretty self-explanatory? Again, evening and morning and at noon. Let's talk about this for a few moments. David, David knows one thing very keenly. He knows Goliath very well. Is that fair? And David knows the two times of day that Goliath comes out. Goliath comes out in the morning, and Goliath comes out in the evening, and I'm going to submit that when you take evening, and you take morning, and you take noon, you have a picture of the cross. You have a picture of the cross. The hours of prayer plus the two times that Goliath comes out, in the morning and in the evening. And so they're going to put this diagram up there, in the morning and in the evening and at noon. And David knows that there's these two times that Goliath comes out. Evil comes out in the morning and in the evening. And it doesn't come out in the morning. Listen to me carefully. Listen to me carefully. Evil does not start talking to you in the morning because it wants you to start your day off well, uh, bad. Evil comes out in the morning. This is going to be weird because it wants you to finish your day bad. Because in the Bible... What time of day is the beginning of the day? The evening. Read Genesis 1. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And the evening and the morning were the second day. And the evening and the morning were the third day. So in God's reality, not in our secular reality, but in God's reality, the day begins in what we call the evening. So that means that our day ends in what we call the morning. So when you wake up, you waking up is the completion of yesterday. Why? Because he wants every day to end in practicing resurrection. He doesn't want our day to end in going to sleep. He wants our day to end in waking up because our lives are going to end in waking up. The minute you go to sleep and die, you're going to wake up because your life will end ultimately in waking up. And so he wants us to practice every day. The evening and the morning were the first day. It begins with us going to sleep. It ends with us waking up. So if you say, I had a really bad day today. I really hope tomorrow's better. When you wake up refreshed in the morning, that is how your yesterday ended. When you wake up motivated and say, there was new mercies at my bedside in the morning, that's how your day's ending. It's finishing with you waking up. It's finishing with a refreshing start. It's finishing with mercy and grace. We spend time with the Lord in the morning, not to get our day started the right way, but to end yesterday's work properly. You're not getting a word for the day in the morning. You're getting a word that helps you finish the day well in the morning. It is hard for us to grapple with this, but there is a secular calendar and there is a sacred calendar. And the sacred calendar doesn't remove the secular one. It happens inside of it. Take today, for example. We call Saturday and Sunday the week, but it's not. Again, according to our sacred text, it was on the first day of the week, the day they call Sunday, that Jesus rose from the dead. So this is not how the week is ending. Being here together in the morning, this is how our week is starting on Sundays. Sunday's not the end of the week. Sunday's the first day of the week. Your week does not start tomorrow. It starts today with this. 
Sunday's the first day of the week. Our calendars accidentally got this one right. When you look at any good calendar, it's Sunday is the first day. Who wouldn't want to start their week this way, here with each other, hearing the good news and coming to the table together? This is how your week is starting. This is how it's getting off the ground. So spend time with him in the morning to finish yesterday well. Then we spend time with him in the evening to do what? Start tomorrow well. It's in the evening that you need to hear from the Lord for the beginning of the day. It's in the evening while Israel slept that God parted the Red Sea so that when they woke up, they finished their day going through the Red Sea. But their day started in rest. He wants your day to begin with rest. So it's important to spend time with him to get struck by the cross in the evening because the evening is when the day begins. You want fresh manna for the day? Evening. That's when the day starts. Everybody around you is going to start their day the next morning. You are well on your way by the time you wake up. Amen, Pastor. Thank you for that. You're very welcome. It is my pleasure. But it's noon, 12 to 3. You want to ask me if I, could o- if I could only pray, and this is a hypothetical, because you should do a prayer, and I'm going to show you what they could be in simple form, three times a day, as David says, as Jesus did. But the most important time to stop is somewhere between 12 and 3. These are the hours that Jesus hung on the cross, according to Christian tradition. This, these three hours are the hours that God said, I will now change everything during these three hours. Well, you're a pastor, you have all the time in a day, right, Steve? Tons of time. Pastors, we wake up at 11, we read our little books, no one calls, we have no meetings, we don't deal with anything heavy ever, we just sort of sit with the Lord. Sorry I was late, my quiet time ran over. That's what we get to say. <laughs> Pastor, it's busy between 12 and 3. It's insane between 12 and 3. Here's the thing. Two people. Jesus talks to two people when he's on the cross. Between 12 and 3, he talks to two men are actually crucified with him. Two people are actually being crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it's not I who... There are two people who are actually crucified with him. And somewhere between 12 and 3, these two men speak to Jesus. And I think we can learn exactly how to pray at noon from them. Look at Matthew 27, verse 44. And the robbers, not just one, and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Does it say the robber or the robbers? So Matthew tells us that both of the thieves yelled and railed and criticized and mocked Jesus. Both of them. So at some point, one of their lives changed, yes? 
Because Luke says this, one of the criminals who was hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. So, between 12 and 3, two people crucified with Jesus, they're both praying. They're both praying because prayer is talking to God, yes? So whether you're yelling and cursing at him or you're blessing him, you are praying. I'm going to say that again. When you're talking to him, you're praying. So both thieves on the cross did what? Prayed. Is it possible then instead of judging which one of these guys was better than the other, the Bible is actually telling us something far more simple and far more important. Somewhere between 12 and 3, if you're having a horrible day, you're allowed to say, can't you save yourself and me from this boss? Can you get me out of this traffic jam? Can you get me out of this cubicle? Why am I being faithful and they're giving me equipment to work with that doesn't work and then yelling at me that I can't get stuff done? Why'd you put these coworkers around me? They're the worst. I know you hear them. They're terrible people. This is your fault, Jesus. Here's the thing. You are allowed to say that because honesty is prayer period don't look at me like that can you imagine what it's like to have like a hundred people looking at you the way everybody's looking at me right now i hope one day you get to see what it's like to have all these people young and old look at you and be like it's actually endearing and i love you you're allowed somewhere between 12 and 3. You don't got to get your Bible out in a concordance and six translations and a journal. All you have to do is say, why are you letting this happen? Save me from it. And if you claim to be in it with me, save yourself from it too. How about? Maybe the next day you're having a better day and you're like, you know what? I am so glad you are who you say you are. Can you please remember me when you enter your kingdom? But both of those are good noon day prayers. You're not more holy if you're saying nice things about Jesus, but you're not feeling it, because he knows. He is a lie detector test. He is a walking lie detector. He knows, he detects when you're not telling him the truth. So you might as well say it if it's in your heart. It is, this thief is allowed to say, why aren't you saving me? He's allowed to say it. Who wouldn't say it? The other thief did too. Matthew tells us that they both said these things. They both did. When you're looking at somebody who says, if you follow me, I will bless you. I've never seen the righteous hungry and asking for bread. And then you're like, I have? Have I been around more than you? Jesus, what's wrong with you? Why am I going through? Why am I stuck here? This job isn't taking me anywhere. Why am I stuck here? And then if it's Saturday, you're like, why am I stuck here worse? I want to go back to work. On Saturday, you can't wait till it's Monday. 
on Monday, you're like, I just got to get to the weekend. Sometimes you get to be cynical. It's prayer. But at noon, at noon, David prophetically said noon because he was talking about the cross. We are to pray and read and think in the morning, pray in the afternoon, pray in the evening. And I know, I know from actual 18 years of experience that it is hard to do big devotional things during the day. But I just want to show you right now. We're going to put up three sentences from this is basically straight across Christianity in almost all of the prayer books. There is there are there are sayings for the beginning of all the prayers. And in the beginning of the day, when you pray, you say Lord, open our lips. Does anybody know the response? Well, now it's up there. Lord, open our lips, and our mouth shall proclaim your praise. When you wake up in the morning and you drink in those new mercies, Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall proclaim your praise. You feel good in the morning a little bit. I'm ready to go. Technically ready to finish, but that's fine. I'm ready to go. But then by noon, oh, God, make speed to save us. Oh, Lord, make haste to help us. And God's like, what happened? Six hours ago, it's, Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall proclaim your praise. And then you meet the first person at work, and by noon, you're like, God, make speed to save us. Oh, Lord, make haste to help us. But then in the end of the day prayers, it says, our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He wants you to go through this cycle every day. Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall proclaim your praise. But between saying that and noon, I got beat down a little bit. Oh, God, make speed to save us. Oh, Lord, make haste to help us. Or maybe, if you're like me, it's, oh, Lord, make speed to save them. Oh, Lord, make haste to save them, because I'm about to come out of my face. Now, granted, now I have a wonderful working environment, and nobody ever makes me mad in it. Ever. But I'm sure other people have coworkers that do. We have to have a well-rounded devotional life. We obsess with morning devotions. We lose it during the day. I'm not asking you to do tons of studying in the morning and in the afternoon and evening. I'm asking you to pause for five minutes in the morning five minutes, somewhere between 12 and 3, and five minutes before you go to bed. And if the best you can do is say those three things each of those days, if that's what you have right now, you may want to be able to do more. You may be saying, I want to be more motivated. I want to carve out more time. I want just, you know what, great, good, you want that. But if it's not happening right now, wake up. Don't do devotionals, morning devotionals in your bed. Get up. Sit down at a table. Put your feet on the floor. Show God that you have some respect for him. And if the best you can do is say, Lord, today, open my lips and my mouth shall proclaim your praise. If that's the best you got, do you have about probably more than 10 million people praying that prayer with you at that moment and various moments throughout the day. Own that prayer 
until you can't pray it anymore, and you have to stand there somewhere between 12 and 3 and say, okay, make speed to save me, make haste to help me, about to lose my mind, about to kill somebody, about to lose it, about to quit, about to move, about to just, I'm about to just say the one thing, the one thing that I've been trying not to say that I really want to say. And if they make me a little bit more angry, that one chemical is going to spill, and I'm going to get the boldness, and I'm going to say it, and I'm going to regret it in 10 minutes. Oh, Lord, make, space, make speed to save me. And then before you go to bed, remind yourself, you got there. You made it to the end of the day. Why? Because your help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It's the cycle of the day. Follow the sun and follow the sun throughout the day. Last two points. At the foot of the cross, there's people. There's Mary and John at the foot of the cross, and then there's a whole bunch of people making a whole bunch of rude, angry, nonsensical demands. Oh, I think he called for Elijah. Oh, let's give him wine to drink. Oh, he looks really thirsty. Let's put spit in it. Oh, drink it. Oh, he saved others. Can't he save himself? There's, there's people. There's people that we're going to, and we're going to do our devotional. I love, I, I here's, here's one of the scariest moments of my day. I get up real early. I get up at 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, 5.30 most days, and I going downstairs and I light my little pumpkin spice Yankee candle because that's super holy and I have my pumpkin pie spice coffee with me and I have my religious icons and I just put religious icons in the same sentence as Yankee candles which is a nice pitch to Yankee candle they should hire me one day and I, I'm, I do I just have this wonderful time like like 95% of the mornings I have a good hour and a half two hours and just I'm enjoying spending time with the Lord and then I start to walk up the stairs and I'm like God between that office down there and that floor that I'm walking up to please in the name of Jesus help me because I can hear them <laughs> they're awake and everything I just prayed for is in jeopardy I could get down there, Lord, I, I'm sorry for the things I've said and done and the things I've left undone, and in the name of Jesus, forgive me, and your blood is so good, and I'm going to be a better person, and I am rude to my daughter in point two sections. Hi, Dad, what? Why did I even do that? You ever get to the point sometimes where you're just so frustrated, like them looking at you could be annoying, and they're adorable, they're adorable. Sophia was just underneath one of the pews, and I had a moment. First, I was going to drag her out by both of her kneecaps, and I'm like, oh, I'm online. <laughs> so then when we got her, I sat with her for a moment while Stephanie was ushering in the presence of the Lord, and I said, Sophia, what is the matter? She said, I'm just really tired. Can I sit with you? And I said, sure. And we had this sweet time. But like that, that moment, that little hinge, that's where all of our devotionals need to be working. You're going to walk into your job and the first, per it's not, you know they're going to be there, but you just don't want them to be the first person you see. When I worked at Allstate, I got there a little later because I, I was offered to work a little later, and I would get there after most people were there, and I'm like, if that person, if they're using the bathroom just as I'm coming out of the elevator, I'm going back into the elevator. I just don't want to see them first. Pumped up devotionals, maybe listen to some Christian music on the way to Allstate, come out, bag on, ready to go. Hey, oh God, the whole entire month is ruined. 
You need like those devote. It's like that moment. You have people that wag their hand in your face in various ways all day, make demands of you all day. If you really are who you say you are, then you will perform magic for us on the job. You will be the best dad, the best mom, the best husband, the best wife. If you really are who you say you are, we will all have what we want, and you'll deny everything that you want. They're around you all the time. But then also at the foot of the cross is Mary and John, who just stay. They stay with you no matter what. They treasure in their heart everything you're going through. They love you. They care about you. You're in the presence of both groups of those people. Your job is to be influenced by the Mary and Johns in your life and to disconnect your influence antennas from those other people, but not leave them influence them. Be influenced by the Mary and Johns in your life and influence the other ones. Well, how did Jesus influence them? This is why I love Jesus. This sounds a little bit not like high religious, but he doesn't say a word to them. And I love him for that. He ignored them. The only time he talks about them is he talks about them to his dad. Father, forgive them. For they know not. They're dumb. They don't know what they're doing. They're fool. Uh, he didn't say all that. So you can't, you can't go on the riff of they know not what they do. I love going on the they know not what they do riff. He didn't, go on, he didn't play that jazz. He just said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. He anchored into Mary and John. Mother, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. You are my people. You stayed. You are my house. You're my people. You helped me stay up here. He didn't leave those others. He ignored what they were saying, but didn't ignore their presence or their personhood. He influenced it. And the guy who struck him with a sword is also the one who said, oh my gosh, he actually is who he said he was. So you have your personal morning devotions throughout the day. You also have your community throughout the day. There's people that you are meant to talk to and, and plug into, and there are people that you're meant to be around but not open the gates of influence to. I'm going to be around you, but I'm not going to be influenced by you. I'm going to be influenced by my people so I don't strangle and choke slam you. How's that sound? <laughs> I want to say by the end of this day at work, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. So I'm going to focus on Mary and John in my life. And then at some point when they have strengthened me enough and my time with the Lord has strengthened me enough, I'll be able to say I'm here for you. Forgive them. And here's the thing, piece of advice. Don't actually say to them, I forgive you for you know not what you do. It's rude and condescending. <laughs> it's also so nice to say something like that, but it's rude. So you have your devotional life. 
You got Goliath chirping at you in the morning and in the evening. You have your devotional life that outdoes his voice. You have your sources that help you take up your cross and follow him throughout the day. You got people you're supposed to plug into and people that you're supposed to be around that are supposed to see the light emanating off of you, but you're not supposed to open yourself up to. And then, to tie it all together, you have the sermon and the Eucharist on Sunday. And Paul says this. Paul says, I determined to know nothing among you except what? Christ and him crucified. Every we come to church on Sunday to hear read, to hear sung, to hear preached, and to receive in terms of food Christ and him crucified. Every song that Stephanie sings is one way of talking about Christ and him crucified. Every note John plays is a note declaring Christ crucified. Every sermon, every Eucharist is receiving Christ and him crucified. This here is the soil that everything healthy in your life grows out of. This here is the good soil that produces fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Plant yourself in this good soil. Fight to be in this good soil. Are you, did you just sneak in a message on church attendance? Yes. Why? Because I'm not standing here with a microphone in my hand if somebody didn't make me stay in this soil. Let me rephrase that. If a lot of people, including probably 10 of you here right now, didn't make me stay in this soil. Mad? Still in the soil. Bored? Still in the soil. Feeling like I'm getting taken advantage of? Still in the soil. Happy, excited, celebrating? In the soil. This soil. This place. Where God called me where he said he wants to reveal, where he promised he would reveal his name to me. He told me here. This is where I see his name, even to this day. And you want to know one of the new ways I see Christ revealed? Every time, every time I stand up here and look at you, I'm looking at Jesus revealed in ways that I never saw him revealed when I was sitting there listening to a sermon. You have no idea what I go back and tell my office and write down just by, just by observing you while I'm preaching. There are plenty of things God is telling me for me not for you, for me. I know what a lot of you are going through when I see you worshiping, God's reminding me of good things. For me. You're in a lot of my journals. And it's not because I'm talking smack. It's because I'm saying thank you. Thank you for letting me see what I saw today in that person because it reminded me, oh yeah, you're also that for me. It's where we grow. So I close with this. Peter was a rock that Jesus struck. And water came out of Peter. Does anybody know when water came out of Peter? After Jesus rose from the dead, he found Peter, and he asked him three questions. What were the three questions? Somebody yell it out. Do you love me? Strike. Do you love me? Do you love me? And it said, and he wept. And spring of life came out. Why? Because his striking is a healing. His striking puts you back together. Our striking 
dismantles. His striking mantles. I don't know if that's... (laughs) Every once in a while, Jacqueline's like, I married him on purpose. Like, he makes up words all the time. His striking puts us back together. He wants to strike you this morning. When you come to the table of the Lord, I want you to receive the bread today. Stop for just five seconds at the altar and say, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And receive him. And then, starting this evening, just simply don't get crazy. Just practice stopping for five minutes those three times of the day. I feel like our passion will come back. I feel like we'll wake up to ourselves again. I feel like water will flow even out of an impossible situation, even out of the completely dammed up rock that we've become. I feel it happening. I'm watching it happening. I felt like the Holy Spirit told me just after the prophecy, when Stephanie was finishing up, I felt like the Holy Spirit told me, look around the room. These are the good old days. These are the good old days right now. This church, God is going to bring healing. He's going to bring renewal. We might have seasons where this room is filled. We might have seasons with two services. Then we might go back to a season where it's less. But he said, look at this room right now. I'm about to do something in this church. But don't, don't just get so excited about that future. Enjoy the good old days right now where there's a remnant of people who are saying, we haven't bowed the knee to Baal. We are here. And we want the fire to start right here. So come to the altar when you come for the, the worship team can come up right now. Come to the altar when you come and receive today and just say, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Start a fire in my soul. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Let's stand to our feet this morning. You all know when the Giants play at 405, right? Because <laughs> we got time. That was a lovely... That was a lovely game last week, wasn't it? Ugh. I just tested you to see if you were humble. (laughs) It was terrible. It was so bad. But you know what's funny? When I was watching the Giants not play football, I was like, is this what God sees when he watches me, like, live a day? Just... (laughs) just falling. I wonder if God's ever like, just stay down. Don't get up. Why are you just, you won't fall again if you just lay there for a minute. I'm just going to transition right into communion now because I don't have the skill set to transition out of that well. Would you close your eyes for a moment with me? Salem, I, 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 want, I love you all so much. This is, this is fun. These are the good old days. Father God, I thank you for this time that we're living in together right now. I thank you for this family that is here right now. (sighs) I thank you for how this church has refreshed mine and Jacqueline's soul so many times. So many times for so many years. Even, Even before we were together, this church was refreshing our soul, Father God. Just thank you for what you've done in this room. So many lives changed in this room and I thank you that every Sunday we get to have a meal together and I pray Holy Spirit that you would hover over us 
and that you would speak to the rock. Strike us with the word of your mouth. And let there be a river of life that springs up inside of us today to water the ground around us, to give refreshment to the people in our life. Father God, I want our church to be a church that when people are around us, they are more themselves when they're done being around us. When we leave somebody's house, when somebody leaves our home, when somebody even just leaves from a small encounter standing in line at a grocery store, I pray that they would be more themselves after being around us. Because you offer us yourself and we become more ourselves. May we offer you so that others can become their self. On the night when you were betrayed, you showed us your true self. This is my body broken for you, offered to you, spilled for you. Because I love you. And I want you to remember this. Because I want you to do likewise. I'm washing your feet because I want you to wash the feet of even your enemy. I'm offering you my life because I want you to offer your life. Holy Spirit, I pray that you descend on this bread and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him, and descend on us. Ask us, do you love me? Bring back the joy of your salvation. Uphold us with a willing spirit. Put a yes back in our spirit again. Put a yes back. The, your word says that you are the yes and amen. Put that yes in our spirit. Revive us. Call us out of the tomb. Loose us and let us go. I'm going to ask Elder Bill if he would be over here, and Elder Ron if he would be over here. Come and receive. Stand at the altar for just a second and say, Lord, you know that I love you. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.